But here's the thing. Discipleship is in a Christian context, in a Catholic context, is not meant to be done alone. We're not meant to walk behind Jesus Christ all by ourselves. We are Christians. We are Catholics. We're bound to one another. And we're supposed to learn from one another and grow together. And that's, that's the kind of vision I sold to these guys, and they're absolutely eating it up. They want to grow closer to Jesus Christ, but they need somebody else, in a sense, to mentor them. I was blessed to have other people mentor me, to guide me, to walk with me, and I still have that. I still have my spiritual director. I still have my friends that walk beside me, my spiritual director in front of me, my wife and my friends beside me. And then I also have some folks behind me that I'm helping lead. And so I go back and I meet them and we walk forward together. But the whole point is to walk with Jesus together, not alone. Welcome to Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And today we're going to be speaking with Marcel Sean, who is the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. And we're going to be speaking to him specifically about evangelization and discipleship. Beth, how was your weekend? Oh, I had another great weekend, another BET weekend. Um, I, You've been uh, leaving a lot of those. You know, I just finished a trifecta. Three <laughs> different universities. I started in Ave Maria and worked with those students. Then I was at U of M, University of Michigan, worked with them. And then this week, for, to finish it off, it was at Notre Dame University. Again, working with the students. There's, um, they're amazing to work with, the students really have to claim their faith on their own and decide whether they personally are going to be a disciple of Jesus or um, just kind of be on the coattails of their parents. And they kind of recognize that that in their quest for independence in so many other ways, they want to be independent and make an independent decision in their faith life. Was there any specific story that you would like to share that happened this weekend with you leading at BET? Well, you know, our uh, basic evangelization training kind of, um, goes through all the different parts of evangelization, but we, we do it on campus in three hours. So it's really fast. And um, it, so you kind of adjust it to the students. And we had mass at the very beginning of the day in the oldest chapel. Like when Notre Dame first started, it was a chapel and a classroom building. That's the chapel we had mass in, which was wow. so cool. So um, mass has ended. And we're ready to get started. But no, every single student down on their knees to finish thanking the Lord for the Eucharist. And I'm thinking, okay, so parts of that BET that's talking about, are, have you given your life to Jesus? I think, we, I think we've got that done. So um, I was really glad to, to um, talk to students who have already really, they're intentional. They want to share Jesus. They're giving up their Saturday. And it was just a real blessing to just be able to focus on the techniques and skills of evangelizing them. Were you guys able to do a live lab? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did a live lab, and it was great fun. We had so many people. We had to spread out all over. And then we all came together at the end and shared our stories and so many beautiful stories. Some people were at the grotto, some at, you know, we were outside the, the lunchroom. So we got a lot of traffic there, both for visitors and people there, uh, visitors and students. It, it was just really fun, and it was good to do a live lab. Um, we did a live lab at all three colleges, um, although when I was down at Ave Maria, because of the thunderstorm, our live lab ended up being in the mall at the food court. Oh, but, wow. Uh, 
but it worked. It Chinese worked. and Jesus. You know, it, it, you know these, when you want to share Jesus with others, it doesn't matter where you are. You just, it bubbles up and their, their enthusiasm and love for the Lord is just tangible. It was just beautiful to have. So I really, I really enjoyed all, all three of them. I would love it if you would come up to me and offer me a miraculous medal and just pray that I, in the future, always have the grace to say no to those Chinese places <laughs> that I eat in the mall because I never, <laughs> I never feel great, but I always get amnesia because whenever I do the taste test, I'm like, oh man, this is delicious. Why did I think this wasn't? And then here, here, I, have, oh, a, have a free sample. Have a free sample. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the reason they do those because they work on me every time. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's, it's great. And I'm glad you were able to do uh, some, you were at a retreat with your teens. I think and, there are uh, three or four of us were giving some type of retreat, talk, training or something this weekend. We have just been going all over the place. Just the, the need for people to learn more about how to evangelize, how do we spread Jesus to others is just, it's just growing and growing, which is amazing. <laughs> So what we were talking about is this weekend, what we were really doing was presenting the kerygma to faithful Catholics who want to learn how to share their faith. And I'm actually really excited about our guest today, Marcel, uh, and what he's doing with Catholic Missionary Disciples to help people, once they have said yes to Jesus, to be able to live a life of discipleship and invite others into that life of discipleship as well and what he's doing. And we were talking about college campus ministry. Uh, for those who don't know, Marcel has served as the Associate Director of Campus Ministry at St. Mary's at the Catholic Center at Texas A&M, and he did that for 11 years. So a lot of time working with college students and offering discipleship to them. Um, and now he is actually an international speaker and an award-winning author, and we're very excited to have him on to speak with us today about discipleship and specifically how we can even implement that within our apostolate of St. Paul Street Evangelization. So, Marcel, thank you so much for being on with us today. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I, absolutely. I really am very excited that, to be able to have you as a guest. Could you actually just speak to us a little bit about your ministry of Catholic Missionary Disciples? Yeah, so uh, I actually spent 15 years in campus ministry. Four of them were before I, I'm, a, I'm an alumni of uh, Texas A&M, but before I came back to Texas A&M and worked with the campus ministry here, um, I worked four years at Texas Tech, which is where I really cut my teeth in learning how to mess up campus ministry. Uh, they were my, <laughs> they were my experiment. So, um, and anyway, so, you know, and after 15 years of campus ministry, uh, learned a lot by messing up and, and doing a few things the right way. And, and so now what we do at Catholic Missionary Disciples is we help Catholic leaders, specifically staff, uh, of diocesan and parish offices, learn what it really takes to get their hands dirty in evangelization and discipleship, to, to not uh, just talk about it, but to walk the walk. So in some ways, the, the best descriptor for me might be a ministry mentor or coach, uh, where I help and walk with people and accompany them and train them on how to do this and how you do it with others as well. How do, you, how do you really make a parish or a diocese fruitful? Do you plan for fruit, uh, plan to really transform people's lives, and then help teach them to do the same thing? So we're, we're multiplying and we're changing the culture from the ground up, from one person at a time. And so the focus is not on the everyday Catholic, but the leaders in the Catholic faith to teach them how to be leaders. Yeah, ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the leadership to lead in an appropriate manner. So let me put it this way. 
by telling you a, a kind of a, a, a precursor. And that is, if you were to ask the average pastor of your average parish or the average DRE or youth minister of your average parish or the director of evangelization at a diocesan level, if you had somebody who came, and, and I'm going to give you a, a kind of a, a hypothetical person, a 30-year-old woman who's single, who identifies as an agnostic, self-identifies herself as an agnostic, but is open to the claims of Jesus Christ and to the Catholic Church's uh, understanding of what it means to be a Catholic and a Christian. And she comes to that person and she says, I'm open to these claims and I'm open to the possibility of following Jesus, but I need to explore this with somebody. Um, from when I've asked Catholic leaders, what would you do with that lady? The average response is we would put them in RCA. That was going to be my um, joint answer. Next September, yeah. we have RCIA on Thursday. Yes, exactly. And, and a lot of times it is that. It's, you know, in three, four, five months, we're going to start another RCIA, come back to us. Now, that's not an awful response. And what I mean by that is some people might be ready for RCIA, some might not. But there is a much, much better response, and that is, hey, let's go meet for a cup of coffee. Hey, why don't we set an appointment, and you come in and we, we chat. Uh, because it's not, it, we need to personalize where is this person at. We need to find out what is, what's going on in her life, and we need to, to walk with her. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's not rocket science. Now, if you were to go, you know, a year later, let's fast forward a year later. Let's say she did decide to go to RCA, and she decided to become a Catholic. And now she has put Jesus at the center of her life. She is a disciple of Jesus. She's been initiated into the Catholic Church. She's a Catholic missionary disciple, we can call her. And she's on fire. And she says, I want to grow as a disciple. I want to learn more about my faith. I want to learn how to pray. I want to grow in virtue. I want to know what it means to start to share the gospel with other people. And she came back to that same person on staff and said, how, how do I do that? The, the average response would probably be go get involved um, in some activity or program or event at, at our parish. Again, that's not an awful response. There are some things that could help that, that woman. But the best response is, okay, how are we going to help this woman to have an opportunity to apprentice under a, a missionary disciple, somebody who has already been there, done that, and knows the way forward? How do we... Uh, help her to find that kind of relationship. And if not with us, then somebody else. Uh, and that's really what I'm trying to get Catholic leaders to start to learn to do is to personalize and to really enter into it. And I'll be honest, you're going to have to get a little bit uh, inefficient with the way you handle folks because that's really what the point is. Can you dive into that? Uh, I'm actually really interested in what you mean. How, why would you have to be inefficient in the way they handle people if you do it that way? Yeah, good question. So the reason I say inefficient is if you think about the problem that your average pastor of a Catholic parish has or, you know, your whoever, you know, somebody on, on or even just a volunteer, you're thinking of the masses of people that are coming to uh, the liturgy, to Sunday Mass, to the programs that we run. All the, it could be hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that are coming to these things. I mean, I know that uh, in, a, in the last campus ministry I worked at at St. Mary's at Texas A&M, we would have five, 6,000 students that would show up to Mass on any given weekend. When you have 5,000, 6,000 people that you're supposed to minister to, and you're looking at it from a staff perspective, 
then what are you going to do? A lot of people respond by saying we have to get the, the big numbers. We, we shoot for the crowds. We got to do this. Now, certainly we want to serve as many people as possible. But the problem is that the capability of anybody to really enter into the life of somebody else is going to limit the scope of somebody you can pour into deeply. And what I mean by that is, look, I got five kids. Uh, I can pour into each one of those five kids, is, you know, a lot. But if I had 50 kids, then I'm not going to be able to pour in as much into those 50 kids, right? And if I had 500 kids, there's no way. I'm just incapable of doing it. So pastor, pastorally, a, a priest especially, but any kind of Catholic leader really has to get to the point where they say, you know what, I have my limitations. And I can't, I don't have 500 hours in a day to be able to have an hour a day with everybody. Uh, what I need right now is to figure out who does God want me to really enter into deep life with, life on life ministry with, and really help them and walk alongside them. And to use the language of, you know, Pope Francis, if you want, accompany them. So this is the inefficiency in a will if you, of, of what ministry is supposed to look like. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus preached to the masses, and, but he really invested in just a handful of men. I mean, he, he had a deep, deep investment in relationship and intimacy with just a handful of people. And Jesus had a much bigger problem than anybody at a parish level did. He had to save the world. So um, we, need, we need strategies. How do we decide who, who are the many, who are the few? How do, we, how do you do that without feeling like you've, you've just dropped some people and you aren't paying attention to them? Yeah, another good question. I'll tell you what, Beth. It, it is a discernment process. And let me, let me just uh, tell you how I handle it personally. Because, and I don't think I've got it down perfect. But I want to tell you just a little story in the last year, okay? So I've been pouring deeply into college students for so many years. And when I got out of campus ministry, I did that again uh, with a, a group that I was running of young men. But I started to discern that God was really calling me to work with men a little bit more my age. And and yeah, I'm working with all these Catholic leaders doing my job, but I, I have a love for the people that are around me too. And I, I noticed there were some men about my age, middle-aged guys, you know, in their forties and stuff. And, and they're good men, but they really haven't grown much in their prayer life, in their virtue, in their marriages and other stuff like they wanted to. And I had conversations with them. So I started to go to lunch and invest and talk to and have conversations with uh, a little bit more frequently and intentionally, a number of men. And what I also started to do was to pray. And I started to think, okay, and to pray, God, who is it that you want me to deeply invest in? And when I got those, you know, that, that comfort from the spirit that this is the man or these were the men that he wanted me to invite into a deeper relationship, what I did was I sat down with each one of them. Um, talk to them again about some of the stuff we've been talking about for six months because we I started this as a six-month process. And I said, I told each one of them, I, I want to walk with you so that you and I together can start to really grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, with our families, and with one another. And the way we're going to do this is over a two-year period. And I had a, I cast a big vision of, you know, that they had to commit to two years minimum to do this, and I was going to also show them how to do the same thing with other men, so that not only was this some kind of self-contained group, but we were going to get together and get our families together and pray together and, and really become, you know, build the trust 
And then that trust leads to some vulnerability where you have a safe place to be vulnerable. And then that vulnerability allows for intimacy. And then from intimacy, you can get accountable with somebody. And from accountability is really where discipleship grows. Now let's define for a second what I'm talking about with discipleship. Discipleship is at its basic definition, following another, right? In this context, we're following Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Discipleship is in a Christian context, in a Catholic context, is not meant to be done alone. We're not meant to walk behind Jesus Christ all by ourselves. We are Christians. We are Catholics. We're bound to one another. And we're supposed to learn from one another and grow together. And that's, that's the kind of vision I sold to these guys, and they're absolutely eating it up. They want to grow closer to Jesus Christ, but they need somebody else, in a sense, to mentor them. I, yeah, I was blessed to have... Yeah, I was blessed to have other people mentor me, to guide me, to walk with me, and I still have that. I still have my spiritual director. I still have my friends that walk beside me, my spiritual director in front of me, my wife and my friends beside me, and then I also have some folks behind me that I'm helping lead. And so I go back and I meet them and we walk forward together. But the whole point is to walk with Jesus together, not alone. Hmm. And, and Marcel, how would you say this is different from other men's groups that are out there, like Knights of Columbus? And I know some guys get together early in the morning for that man is you to be able to come mm-hmm. together, to be able to serve the community or grow in their faith. Um, how would your vision of gathering these men uh, be different than what's already out there? Yeah. So here's a couple of things that would probably be a little bit different. First of all, um, we try not to have any kind of just passive consumption of teaching or doctrine. And sometimes some of the video-based, um, you know, programmatic things that we have out there. And by the way, the content is excellent. Okay. We, I'm not questioning content or any of that, but it's just kind of the delivery method, if you will. What I want to do is I really want to, to do things like we're going we're gonna to use the scriptures and break them open. And so I have an intentional plan that we walk through that builds on different topical things that, that men need to hear about. Um, right now, I'm using CCOs. Um, just, you know, people are going to ask, well, what do you use? I'm using Catholic Christian Outreach or CCOs faith studies. But I'm also in the, in the, at the point right now where we're going to start developing our own materials. And that, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sell any materials. What I'm saying is there's good things out there, but I like the things that really cause a group of men to have discussions and to have a plan for how are we going to move forward. I think CCO accomplishes that in a good way. Um, there are other things that you can use. But what I don't like is just merely having passive consumption. What I mean by that is if you're just sitting down and listening to a teacher or listening to a video, sometimes you can be very passive in, the, in how you're receiving that information. And what I want to do, so there's an intentionality about it. There's also an active per- component that goes into it. And then I have a plan and a bigger vision to moving forward. And then, then the, the other thing is that the point is not to keep it insular. We don't want to just contain this to this group and we grow in the group, but we don't really change outwardly. The point is we have to have an eye for he- to heaven for the world. Okay, what do I mean by that? An eye to heaven for the world. That is, our job as disciples is also to be disciple makers. We can't just settle for our own discipleship. We have to go out there and help the world come to know, love, follow, and serve Jesus Christ so that they can go to heaven with us. And so I've been given a great passion for the fact that 
Jesus loves the world just as much as he loves me. And that if I don't share that love with other people, then I'm not loving with the heart of Jesus Christ. And so I have to love the salvation and the possible salvation of other people enough to go out there and just spread the gospel and to want to train others to do the same because I can't accomplish this on my own. I'm not Jesus. Amen. What kind of advice would you give to our team leaders who have received the gospel and they don't want to be passive about it? They want to be able to share it and they're doing it in the method of street evangelization. You know, would you be able to speak to them as well? So absolutely. So, you know, one of the things is that one of my great passions is evangelization. Uh, And I actually really learned how to evangelize probably by doing street evangelization before your organization even existed. Um, so wow. I went out and, and I started training um, college students uh, when I first got into campus ministry on how to go out there and have conversations with people, uh, how to ask questions to get them talking, how to, how to discern what somebody else needed, how to respond appropriately, you know, all the, all the great tools that you guys now do in a much better way than I ever did them. Um, you, you, you do a wonderful job of training folks. And one of the things that I'd, I would say is this, that evangelization has to be looked at as part of the continuum of the, the goals of the church. And so we have pre-evangelization, that is the relationship building portion of what we do in the church, right? We have to build relationships so that we win the right uh, we win the trust in order to be able to preach the gospel. And sometimes that trust can be built in such a quick manner, you can do it in a half-hour conversation on the street, right, where you're able to then present the gospel and possibly even invite a response in prayer for somebody who could have a conversion right there on the street. You've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. It's a wonderful thing. But here's what I would tell your leaders. Do not stop there. Um, don't just, you know, our job is not just to make converts. Our job is to make disciples. And our job is not just to make any kind of disciple or a follower who does basic, but to make missionary disciples who are saints. That's really what we're trying to gain. So that means there's got to be follow-up. There's got to be some kind of community aspect that we're starting to build so that those people who, you know, are ready for something deeper, for something more, or for somebody who wants to learn what is it like to be a Christian? What's it like to pray? What's it like to grow in virtue? What's it like to live in community? Um, all those things, you have to start to build infrastructure in a sense. And, that, and when I say infrastructure, I'm just talking about the, the, the small communities that allow for those things to happen. Um, so at each local place, what, what is your team's vision for? How do we get beyond just being on the street corners uh, and also start to equip and grow these people that are having conversions so that they can be right back out into the world evangelizing alongside us or in their own homes and their own businesses and other things like that. So it's got to have a broader vision for it doesn't just, we don't just go to the streets. We're in the homes, we're everywhere else. We're integrating this and we're growing people uh, into maturity as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's so important. Yeah. Well, Beth and I have this conversation Probably three times or four times a week. (laughs) (laughs) How is it that we can practically help team leaders be able to do this follow up? And so there's a couple of, well, there's a couple of different things. Um, I I love uh, all the things you were saying. It's so beautiful. And I love the CCO studies. I've done them before. 
they're very well, very interactive. You can't just, you aren't usually passive when you're going through them. You, you, you have to, you have to be a part of them. So I, I love that as the material that you use. When I think about for our team leaders, so the building of community and that there's two levels. One is just within their team because people will come out to evangelize and um, to be able to keep that team together in between their evangelization sessions and, and, and grow together in their faith and, and accompany each other. I, I see that as, as an important part. Um, and then for the team and the people that come by that they evangelize, sometimes if the team is evangelizing at the same place on a regular basis, they get what we would call repeat customers or frequent flyers, right? The same mm-hmm. people that come by. And those people we do have a chance to build relationships with. And there's a couple, there's a number of stories where because they met the same person and they, they followed up with them and maybe passed on their email, but at least remembered from time to time what was going on, that they built that relationship. And some have gone through our RCIA and are now evangelizing with them. So that, that concept is there, even though we, it doesn't happen to everyone because so many are just one time, you know, a two minute conversation. You will never see them again. And you know that, but mm-hmm. trying to build that bridge is important. I, and uh, the concept is, is there. It's not enough just to proclaim Jesus. You want to continue to walk with them when possible. Yeah. And one thing I would point out is of course you're, you know, with the numbers of people that your teams are going to be encountering, um, it's not as if you're going to be able to enter into uh, depth with all those people. No. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's the model of Jesus Christ, right? Think of, think of all the people that Jesus had an encounter with where he healed them. You know, the woman. We have no other record of Jesus having any other encounters with this woman. We don't know what happened. She was healed. She rejoiced at this. Um, you know, she most likely, um, you know, because this was such a radical change, likely decided, let's just give her the benefit of the doubt, became a Christian disciple who followed him on the way until her death. Praise God for that. But that doesn't mean Jesus has to be the one who's going to walk with her. In fact, that's why he had the 12. And so he deeply invests in the 12, and each one of those guys, uh, and alongside with Paul, what did they do? They turned around. And they started to invest in other people who invested in other people. And that's the multiplication. And that's the vision of Jesus Christ. So we have to be very discerning. And so the one thing for the team who is going to be on the street is to really listen to the movement of the spirit while they're there. And if the spirit says something to them, to their hearts, you know, hey, this is somebody that you might just click with or somebody that you might want to invite to get a cup of coffee next week. Why not listen to the spirit moving in that way, especially if it's a frequent flyer who's coming back to you guys again and again. Hey, this is somebody who Jesus Christ is putting into our vision in a sense again and again. It's somebody that maybe is ready for something a little bit more deep and personal. And that's the only thing I would invite them to. Of course, the people who are closest to you in your sphere, friends, co-workers, and other people, those are going to be your first folks that you want to start to really live life with, right? I mean, you don't want to, to the detriment of your family, start to evangelize on the street and forget, hey, I got family back there. I'm supposed to be, you know, really (laughs) guiding them and working. And sometimes I've seen people do that, unfortunately. That's very important to give yourself permission 
to be selective and let the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. help you dis- to discern because numbers can be a real temptation. Like, I, I missed yeah. that one. Oh, my gosh, I missed that one. I have to get more. I have to get more. But really, you, you talked about two years and, and investing in some for about two years. And you really can't mm-hmm. invest in five, ten people for two years. It, it, you really no. have to keep the – but if you keep the numbers down where you can truly invest all the way through, I think that was CCO's model, right? Yeah, and I, I'm not using CCO's model so much as I'm using their materials. So it's my model with their materials. And, you know, but it really, I, I would say it's the strategy of Jesus, right? The deep investment in a handful of people, um, you know, for years and then training them to do the same thing so that, and here's my vision for this. Okay. It doesn't even stop with these three guys because in the second year that I'm doing this, they're going to start to run their own group with a handful, three, four guys themselves. When they start to run these groups, we're going to still be meeting and we're going to be downloading. How is this going? What's going on? How do I, you know, work with this particular situation, et cetera. And we're, I'm going to be guiding and mentoring these guys through all of that. So at the end of that second year, that doesn't mean our friendship stops. But what it does mean is, okay, gentlemen, it's now time to make sure that we're all in, you know, deeply in, you have your own groups. I'm going to go start another group. You're, you're going to invest in these men who are also going to start in their second year to do this. If we, if we plan out the math, even if we have some defections, okay, by year eight, nine, we're going to have thousands of men in the local community who are going to have uh, the opportunity to have three, four other guys who are walking and investing deeply in this. My hope is to renew the parishes locally. That's actually the vision. The broadest vision is to renew the parishes because if we don't renew the parishes, then, you know, all these folks we're sending to the parishes really don't have a place to find a spiritual home. We need the parishes to really start to come alive and to be places that are full of Catholic evangelists and disciples who are ready to take on this mission and to be able to do it on the streets and in the workplaces and in the homes, not just in those parish boundaries in a sense of the walls that make up the church. That's so true. That's so true. I hear that. Unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of times, Marcel, is when I say, when I try to help our team leaders connect people from the street to the parish and I let them know that that's the yeah. vision, sometimes they come back at me and like, well, I don't know if I want to connect them to my parish. Yeah. The other thing that I would point out is that there is no perfect Catholic parish. And we have to be careful of um, the fact that no matter, even if the preaching's bad, the music's bad, the liturgy's not that great, even if the programs are terrible, the people, aren't on fire with the spirit, et cetera, that grace is still present and that God still shows up because we are guaranteed in the sacraments that that happens. Um, and that every Catholic has to come to that realization eventually anyway. So uh, we're all going to have to enter into the fact that, you know what, sometimes there's a song that was sung in mass that just depressed me because I hate that song. Um, and, but it's, but the reception of the grace that I got in that, that sacrifice that was offered on the altar is not dependent upon my feelings about that song, but the reality that is truly there and that we have to be able to see with the eyes of faith. And that ultimately is what every single Catholic disciple has to come into contact with grace is faith gives us the eyes to see beyond the failings of the humans who are present in this parish, no matter what. Um, Now, with that being said, do we want excellent ministry and excellent parishes? Absolutely. Um, We want to do better. But until we get to that place where that's the norm, why don't we fight for the fact that, you know, grace is still there and we can still have access to it. So 
it's a both and, I think, you know, right? We, and in discipleship right now and in renewal and working in the church and in the street evangelization that you guys do, the fact is that we, we can't neglect our parishes in service to the mission of Jesus Christ because that's where the church right now really needs that new evangelization in a lot of ways. Um, is, is a lot of folks who are going to church really need Jesus Christ. Mm. Yes. Amen. That's so Amen. Important. And we actually have teams who set up in their parishes. So um, the mm. set up after mass and they'll answer the questions about the Catholic faith that people have and they'll pray with those. And um, even uh, our ministry is beginning to even embrace healing prayer and even offer healing prayer to those um, who need it. And it's, it's beautiful to, hear how even Catholic parishes are excited about having our ministry. And so it's not necessarily just street evangelization, but sometimes even parish evangelization um, yeah. to, help, to help renew the parish. And Marcel, uh, uh, my last question for you is, I mean, this podcast is called Stories from the Street. And I would, you mentioned how you had done street ministry even before we were around. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been out with one of our own teams, but uh, the whole, another vision behind this podcast is just to be able to, help people see that this can be fun and fruitful way to evangelize. Do you have a story from your own experience of street evangelization that you like to share? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you one. It was fun. Um, there was, there was one time I had done this whole training uh, with students on how to do street evangelization. And it was a, a group of students who, of course, you know, that first time you go out, I'm sure that you, if you remember the first time you did it, there's a lot of fear. Right. Absolutely. A lot of, a lot of anxiety. And, and these students had a lot of fear and anxiety. And so they made me promise that I would show up at some point to help them out. What I did was I was a little, I, I did promise that. And I, I fulfilled my promise and I showed up when I said I would show up, but I didn't show up right where they were. I was about 20 yards away, kind of behind a tree. And I watched <laughs> them for a while. Because they started doing street evangelization. They started having a conversation with a guy who actually approached them. Um, and it was a huge individual. He was probably six foot eight and weighed, you know, 280 pounds, a huge man. And he was kind of hovering over a guy, pointing his finger very aggressively at this tiny little girl and, and kind of fussing at her. And I knew, okay, I think now is the time that I have to go save her skin, right? So I walked over there and they're like, oh, Marcel, we're so glad you're here. And I smiled and I, and I, and the guy's like, Oh, is this the guy that's going to tell me all the answer all my questions? And I, I said, well, we can get to that, but, but tell me what's your name. And I smiled at him and I offered a handshake and I said, my name's Marcel. My name's John. And you got to tell me, dude, like what's going on because of the, the whole inquisition. You guys killed tens of millions of people and your Catholic church is awful. And da, da, da. you know, he's running down this list of different things. And I said, well, why don't we can get to the answers and all the problems and things. And I promise we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, but can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And I said, are you going to school here? And he said, yeah. And I said, what's your major? He said, well, I'm doing engineering. Where are you from? And he said, well, I'm from this town. And we started talking about his, I started asking about his family, you know, and I asked him what made him come to the university and and why was he excited? And you could see the steam that was coming out of his ears start to dissipate because he realized that I wasn't in it to try to make a project out of him or to prove him wrong. He could tell that I really cared about him. 
And it made all the difference in the world because we talked for 15 minutes before we ever got back to his questions. And by that time, I'd calmed him down enough that I said, well, tell me about, you know, what, what are the questions here? Well, you know, this Inquisition stuff. You guys, it just doesn't make any sense historically. I said, well, let's examine that a little bit. And we talked and, and, and I, you know, I asked him more questions. What do you know about the Inquisition? And, and then corrected some of his errors, et cetera. At the end of it, he's basically slapping me on the back, smiling and thanking me when he left. Um, and the students were like, that was amazing. How did you do that? I said, because I was just a human being to the guy. I cared more about him than having the right answer. And that's really all you got to do is, is care about the person and love them enough to really be able to, in a sense, disarm the, the anger, the angst. And then once you're able to really show that interest, it really helped them to change the whole tenor of the conversation. Marcel, I am so glad you shared that story. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly our approach to truth evangelization. And something that yeah. we go over in our evangelical apologetics is how is it that we can love the people that we meet instead of the, the natural tendency is going to be to answer their question and to fight that temptation mm -hmm. to be able to love the person in front of you. And do just as you said, they're not a project. They're a person. That's your goal. Your goal is to be able to win their heart for Jesus, not to win an argument. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you again, Marcel, for, for being on with us and for your time. And uh, just know of our continued prayers for you and your ministry for Catholic Missionary Disciples. I, I think it's great work that you're doing, helping to renew Catholics in the vision of discipleship and helping them do that. Hey, Marcel, it's, thank you. Thank you for all of your good work. Well, and thank you guys for what you're doing, because we, we really, one of the things that Catholics need to do is we, we need to start to really uh, see each other as um, brothers and sisters in the mission field, as collaborators for the gospel message, and as Jesus Christ told us right, that we're supposed to be unified in our mission and in what we're doing, and so we need to be supporting other people who are doing good work, and you guys are doing great work. So thank you for what you do, and thank you to all those people who might listen to this podcast because they want to be better evangelists and disciple makers. We need you out there. God needs you out there. And it's not about so much success in the eyes of the world as it is faithfulness to Jesus Christ and His mission. And God will bless you. And I just want to give that word of encouragement to, to the people listening. That in the struggles of evangelization, in what you might see as a failure, you never know anybody's life or heart even if they walk away sad or angry or whatever else, as long as you do what you can, Jesus Christ has room to work. Oh, thank you. Amen. And Marcel, if, if someone wants to learn more about what you're doing, what, how would they do that? Uh, go to our website, CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com. Um, that's right. I stole the whole phrase and made it a website. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, we'll encourage all of our own evangelists and those who listen to be able to check that out. Um, Beth, we'd be able to sign us off. We are St. Paul Street Evangelization, where we train and mobilize ordinary Catholics to do the extraordinary work of evangelization in order to save souls. Everybody, God bless. God bless. Thank you.